0: Welcome to Gov Actually, the podcast about how government works. How it actually works. I'm Dan Tangerlini, Chief Financial Officer of the Emerson Collective, and this is the Fed Scoop Radio Network.
1: And I'm Danny Werfel from the Boston Consulting Group. We launched this pod to try to get beyond the personalities and the politics. Right. We want to talk about how things actually
0: get done in the government, the people who do it, and the challenges they face. So let's talk. Danny, we're back for another great episode. Well, You'll decide of Gov actually. It's been a it's been a little while, but a lot has happened. Barely know where to start. Um, but I was thinking, um, you know, maybe it's time for spinoff podcasts. And I was I was trying to go with this this name uh, that you cooked up, Gov actually, and thinking about other ways that we could replace love with Gov. And do you remember the show? And and this was this was old when I was young. Uh, love American style. So I was thinking, Gov American style. What what do you what do you think about that as a spinoff?
1: Well, I don't want to offend my Canadian friends, so that's my <laughs> first reaction. Right. Um, but yeah, I do like that. I I, yeah. I do think there's a million different directions, and I'm surprised. Like some of the other podcasts that have come out that are government focused haven't played on the love gov thing because when i when i first thought of gov actually i actually went i it took me a little bit at first i went wait a minute gov rhymes with love so there's like gov story oh. this one that i came oh, up with nice. and, there's, and then and then you and i had been talking about this idea of and i think we use the word actually a lot of getting <laughs> under the hood and what, we
0: actually you? use that word a lot yeah yeah and that's
1: when i hit gov actually and then that, that's a popular movie in my house like it's kind of a it's a weird one because we didn't watch it for a while and then my kids exactly. were back really, it's
0: it's it's some kind of cult classic kind of coming back
1: right but it's so inappropriate for kids like right for some reason you think of the movie as more wholesome than it actually is right when you at when you watch it
0: you think of it like a version of um uh uh wonderful life it's a wonderful life
1: yeah i mean it has a nice message and there's a yeah. scene in the airport with nice. you know, the point you know you got hugh grant talking about you know at the end of the day it's, you know, it's people it's in love. yeah yeah but then you watch it and it's like oh my god my kids could get out of the room shut the tv it's really inappropriate <laughs> all
0: right well we've um we've wasted a, a bunch of time of our listeners here who are actually uh, i
1: know but we interested. always like to talk movies so
0: yeah, well, and and it just dawned on I me. Mean, but but if you if you go back and you YouTube Love American Style, it's it's a totally inappropriate show. Completely, it, it's it's yeah, it's it's wrong in every way. So we should think of a different version. Um, How about the Gov Boat, the Gov Boat.
1: Like it. <laughs> we can, and it would, we can it even would, have it would,
0: the theme. We focus on Navy issues and Noah. Uh, Fish yeah, we money. have to have like
1: we have to like, we have to have like Tina Louise as a guest or something, right? Didn't they always have like. I, yeah I always, they always
0: had these um we'll call them great uh, stars who would uh, make cameos on that and and fantasy island gov island could be one too but that doesn't really play off the love theme so uh,
1: love island it's a television show I, it sounds familiar but anyway go ahead
0: anyway so it seems like we might actually be in a version of infrastructure week i know we've covered this a couple of times but the bill has passed and now it's on to what we would consider the most exciting part. Forget about the politics and the personality and the whip count, it's the implementation. Um, How exciting would implementing a trillion dollars worth of infrastructure be?
1: Yeah, and this reminds me, and I think I've mentioned this before, I I think it was um, Jeff Zients who uh, mentioned to me when I was at OMB and he was at OMB that you know that we need to be careful in government. That you know everyone shows up to the signing ceremony, like smashes the champagne champagne against the back of the boat. You know we've we've created this great the policy at the gov boat, and then uh, and then everyone walks away feeling great about themselves. And then you've got to implement. And yeah, Jeff would be a good person to make that comment because you think about the Affordable Care Act, and you know so much energy went into sharpening the ax of the legislation itself. And it was complicated to write the policy, but then the implementation was orders of magnitude uh, more challenging and they didn't sharpen the ax enough. And we all know what happened on October 1st, 2013, the law launched and it it failed to launch and it was a mess. Um, So implementation is, in my opinion, the harder part. which is crazy because it took forever to get this bill passed, but they still have the hard work ahead.
0: Well, um, um, Mayor Williams, who I had the pleasure of serving under here in D.C., once said uh, to me that to plan is human, to implement is divine, um, and and I think that you know writing the bill as hard as it is then confronts you know the actual reality of systems and processes and. And this bill, much like the American Recovery and Reinvestment Act, the the ARA bill and the Obama administration, otherwise known as the stimulus bill, leverages existing programs for the most part and puts substantial resources through those existing programs. So a big chunk of the implementation mechanism is already in place, but those mechanisms are not used to these levels of resources.
1: There's a couple of different angles here. Yeah, there's um, a lot more throughput, a lot more money going through the the system. Um, And when you scale the amount of dollars going out, some things scale very fluidly and are not a big deal. Other things don't scale fluidly and and create a completely different risk profile that, um, that needs to be managed. And part of it depends on, you know, what, y- what your objectives are around transparency, oversight, you know, how the tension of getting the money out the door quickly versus doing it in a way that made sure that you're doing it correctly. Um, and I think when I think about um, infrastructure my, the first thing that pops into my head as being different and worrisome from a risk standpoint is oversight. And what I mean by that is, and you 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 you're much more close to to, to having experience at at state and local levels and local jurisdictions. But let me throw this question out at you. You know, you and you're from Massachusetts, so think about the big dig, right? A, a big infrastructure project with a lot of challenges in terms of over budget, over cost, delayed, the whole thing, right? Um, now imagine the infrastructure bill comes out and then you have multiple big digs going on simultaneously, whether in the Northeast Corridor or other locations. And a lot of the people on the ground in who are going to be working these projects have never really had the responsibility of large capital programs before. So it's just, one of the things that pops out at me as being of concern is just the project management elements of large capital programs, multiple maybe in some jurisdictions. So do you, is that, is that a risk? Do we have a risk of multiple big digs going on simultaneously?
0: Well, there there is this um, there is this. Uh, do, if you remember during the stimulus bill, this question of shovel readiness. Yeah, I, I heard the discussion now of shovel worthiness. Um, there was the great example of the high speed rail component of the Recovery Act, which um, uh, did not produce uh, the, and I, I think even big supporters would say, did not produce the results that they were hoping for in terms of you know, sparking a, a new century of, uh, of high-speed rail in the United States, in part because the processes for big projects in particular um, require a multi-year process of environmental review, options analysis. And those things don't get started unless people have a real sense of where the money is gonna come from. And so, there are very many fewer of those types of projects than there are, you know, resources currently available, at least theoretically available under this bill. So now you have to move to smaller, more incremental investments, which some people would say is is probably better and smarter anyway. You know, in theory, the resources are there to replace existing bridges or or renovate, um uh, uh, existing, you know, roadways, uh, create, you know, um, uh, uh, you know, overcome maintenance backlogs. And I think, I think, so that's the, that's going to be the tension. Is it going to be simply repairing what we have in the way of a transportation infrastructure? Is it going to be making a, a big, you know, is it going to be making some big, um, throws at where, where we should be headed? Um, is it going to be modernizing the infrastructure? Uh, and I think that that's going to be where the implementation gets complicated, where people start asking, like, well, since we have this kind of resource, should we be, you know, replacing those tunnels between New Jersey and New York? I think that is one of the high priority goals. Uh, luckily, that project's been around for a long time, so there's probably every kind of NEPA review you need done. Um, but in other cases, I think that there, there's probably going to be a lot of like kind, you know, replace replacement and and heavy maintenance.
1: Yeah, you know, it's interesting. When the Recovery Act passed in 2009, um, the emphasis was stimulus, was jobs, was putting money in the economy because we were coming out of the financial crisis, the fall of Lehman, all of that, right? And if you recall, like the first stimulus bill was the rescue of the Troubled Asset Relief Program. And uh, President Obama was elected and the whole platform was, well, Wall Street got its money, now it's time to give money to Main Street, right? And the idea was to to invest in shovel-ready projects, more as a way of stimulating the economy and getting and getting jobs and money flowing in as much as it was around you know our crumbling infrastructure. Now we're in a different place you know we have we have more of a labor shortage. Um, I think there's debate around uh, the fundamentals of our economy right now. We have a weird situation where we have high, in, high rising inflation and a labor shortage, which is, I think unprecedented based on the articles I read this weekend. Um, The emphasis here seems to be more on crumbling infrastructure and and depending on who's talking also the opportunity to upgrade the infrastructure and make us more uh, modern for climate change. So for example, like imagine a world in which there are charging stations for electric cars scattered more regularly throughout the United States, which would enable more demand for electric cars going forward, which would have positives on climate change. Those might not be as shovel-ready as the Recovery Act dollars were, but today's bill is, in my opinion, a little bit more around the infrastructure than the economic stimulus.
0: You know, that's the um... That's the interesting thing, particularly in, in infrastructure investment. There is this, um, when, I, when, I was, uh, when I was running Metro, I remember the board asking me, why does everything cost more and, and take longer than, than you guys estimate? Why don't you just add 20% to the, the cost and the time on everything? And then, and then you'll come in precisely right, right. Why are you always, it feels like wrong. And the and the answer is that there is this interesting relationship between decision making and information, and the decision making about progressing on something or, or deciding to go something happens before all the information is available as to you know what the site looks like and 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 what the market for buying things are, and so. Um, this is the this is the big challenge that, that that you constantly run into particularly in public sector purchasing which takes a while and requires you know I wouldn't argue bad processes of transparency and competition and environmental review and possibly um, uh, challenge and, and bid protests. you know these things take a long time and what happens then is uh, the, the information you use to make the decision, degrades over time because markets change or expectations change or projects shift. I also think that promoters of projects have a tendency to um, be optimistic about what the projects will cost and how long they will take in order to gain support for the project. There's an incentive for people to underestimate costs. In fact, if you bring a big cost to a body like the, and I don't mean to pick on Metro, Metro board, they'll say, boy, that's expensive. Can you make it cheaper and they'll go off and value engineer again with very little information come back and say eh, i think i can knock 10 off of it well already you've taken a number that's a, a just a guess and you've knocked 10 off of it based on another guess and i think these are the these are the fundamental challenges the interesting thing about these programs is that they're not really run by the federal government they're handed off to the states or to organizations like metro or other authorities or or Amtrak to actually go and implement and the challenge then will be oversight and management of organizations that are one step or two steps or even three steps removed from the program, you know the federal program.
1: True, I, but, you know, this also in the recovery act, a lot of the responsibility of the dollars, you know, were at the state and local jurisdictions but it always felt like when something went wrong, the, you know. The, the late night talk shows and the, you know, information sphere always blamed the president, the administration, like the political winds are much stronger around federal accountability and success uh, than they are at, at the local level. At least that's what it feels like, you know, and so, you know, it's interesting, Dan, you, you mentioned to me right before we, we started taping that there's a new um, infrastructure are that was named this morning uh we're taping on a monday morning um mitch landrew was named as the infrastructures are
0: that's that's what i read mitch landrew is uh the former um mayor of new orleans uh former lieutenant governor of louisiana so so right there you have uh, a talented person who understands um the implementation level is going to be at the city and at the state level so you know they've. They've cleverly found someone who's operated successfully at both levels and understands how those, uh, those different levels of organization work.
1: So if I was Mitch, <laughs> just for fun, you know, what I might do just to get started, and maybe we can, we can talk through this a bit, is I'd like, I would envision and ask my team to envision two articles being written a year from now. Um, I always use Time Magazine to show how that I'm old, but the Time Magazine article, one would be failure to launch, why uh, Joe Biden's infrastructure uh, uh, legacy never got off the ground um, and uh, what should have been done differently. And like, what is the contents of that article? Or this, and the second article is like, you know, the successful version of that, which is harder to come up with a headline for because, you know, um, we, we very rarely see positive articles, but, but the positive version of that article, what went right, you know? And it's almost like reverse engineering and understanding what are the risks to avoid on the failure to launch story? And what are the, um, uh, the, the things to invest in and make sure that we have uh, on the on the success version. Um, and, you know, maybe we should unpack both articles uh, and and help and give Mitch a head start on this, uh, this uh, assignment.
0: Let's, uh, let's take a quick break, refill our coffee mugs so that we can be uh, fully present in mind when we uh, dive into, you know, what the risk side is on your failure to launch article and what the what the methods maybe that could help the, uh, the alternative
1: article get written. Well, I, and in the break, I'm going to come up with a, t- a headline for the, for the positive article, because I, uh, I need the juxtaposition I, of the failure to launch, the sad uh, cover of time, and then the triumphant cover of time.
0: Smooth sailing or something like that, or...
1: Uh, the GovBoat,
0: smooth sailing on the GovBoat. Smooth <laughs> sailing, yeah. No, I think that, that might be, people might not, I think people would read the article, but they might be surprised by the content. Then.
1: right. All, All right.
0: right, we'll come up with something better at the break. Okay, cool. Gov Actually is brought to you by the good folks at the FedScoop radio network. Be sure to check out what is happening on the forefront of government technology innovation at FedScoop, as well as the most important issues facing cybersecurity professionals at CyberScoop.
1: Gov actually is also supported by the Boston Consulting Group and the Center for Public Impact.
0: Danny, we're back, and uh, apparently you've concocted a great title for the Alternative Time magazine article.
1: I have. I phoned a friend. That friend was Dan Tangerlini.
0: <laughs> great guy, I hear.
1: He's yeah. amazing.
0: Yeah, and thank he you. He came
1: up with um, a Bridge to Somewhere, which I love, because that plays off the the... the 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 bridge to nowhere failed you know kind of infrastructure rubric that comes up so so you have on one hand the article to envision failure to launch how how Biden's big infrastructure play never got off the ground or bridge to somewhere how um, how Biden uh, capitalized on his big win um, uh, to get you know projects going that that, that every every American is feeling um, a positive impact on um, and seeing the results of it. And it's fueling his, uh, his popularity, if you will. Um, so if yeah. you were,
0: if you remember, I was a transportation director, right? And there's nothing more fun than actually building a bridge. It's super technical and complicated and interesting. And it involves giant cranes. Um, so let's help Mitch build a bridge to somewhere. And in doing so, try to figure out ways that he can avoid the uh, failure to launch.
1: Yeah. Well, I start for, for, and this might be, I am generally an optimist, but I'm also a worrier. So I start on the risk side. So let me throw a couple of things that that are giving me tummy rumbles about the timing of this infrastructure bill. One is the supply chain, and two is the labor market, right? Mm-hmm. And it would seem to me that in order to kind of get things moving get shovels into earth and seeing progress and avoid the failure to launch with the pictures of the empty construction sites on all this money hitting the the ground is you need people you know with with hard hats and and uh, and other things doing the work um and you need supplies and right now it seems we have uncertainty on both well
0: but i think that there is a um there is, you know, and I've, I was listening to the Sunday morning talk shows and it was all about inflation, inflation, inflation. By the way, uh, the number one uh, way, you know, the number, the, the thing that has the most impact on inflation, at least, course, according to my macroeconomics uh, professor was expectation of inflation. So the more <laughs> like like it's happen, yeah. Yeah, the, the more it's going to happen. Um, but I think that, you know, one of the concerns that you hear is, wow, this infrastructure bill is going gonna, is gonna to cause inflation by coming into an already, you know, complicated labor and supply market. I think it ignores the fact that infrastructure of the sort we're talking about or uh, is generally considering the bill does not happen tomorrow. You know, the the first kind of motion, there's all this kind of, it's kind of like a Tai Chi thing. It's a very slow and intentional and continual process that builds momentum. Uh, when I was working on the highway programs, the outlay uh, uh, estimate for your average highway dollar was seven years. Huh. And in the first couple of years, it was it was you know single-digit percentages and it swelled in the third, fourth, fifth year and then tailed in, in year six and seven. So I, I actually think that this program is probably going to be more along the lines of that kind of you know uh, uh distributed outlay over time because it's going to come into things like you know highways and transit where there are a number of projects that are laying around but they are you know, they, they couldn't go and do the contracting before they had the resources to obligate against. Cause you know, that would be an anti-deficiency. So um, they're gonna all start scrambling. I mean, it'd be a great time to be a procurement person, but the actual stuff is really not gonna start showing up you know, in the train yards or 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 even on a highway. I, I don't think for six, nine, 12 months at the
1: earliest. Well, this is an interesting question, uh, again, for Mitch, is what does the calendar look like? You know, what is, where should they be three months from now, six months from now? Um, And maybe important to set expectations with uh, both people inside government and outside government of what a successful infrastructure program looks like six months from now, you know, and, and try to get ahead of the narrative a bit. Um, and I'm not just talking from a PR perspective also just kind of like managing thoughtfully, because I think sometimes you you churn and you waste resources and you create unnecessary strain when you, um, when you set unrealistic ex- expectations of what what launch really means in a program like this.
0: Yeah, I mean I, w- I was on the water and sewer authority board here and, and we did a lead line replacement program, and that is a house by house. Effort, you know, it takes it takes years. It takes a lot of time to recruit people to do the work, even if even if the organization, the authorities, paying for it, you have to convince people that it's a good idea to dig up their front yard and rip that pipe out. And you'd actually be surprised how many people said, "I'm I'm good," <laughs> you know. So um, it's uh, uh, I think that, and then you know, this money has to show up in authorities that. That, that weren't ready for it, that, that didn't necessarily have expectation that they were receiving it. They had a vague, vague sense that there was talk about it, but people, I think a lot of organizations like, well, I'll believe it when I see it, right? Because you don't start staffing up under the expectation that a bill passes Congress, uh, because we know that that's, uh, the odds aren't, aren't always that great. And a bill like this one, which has changed dramatically over its lifetime, you know, if people were staffing up for certain aspects of it, they would have been left out in the cold because big chunks of the bill changed dramatically.
1: Yeah. So, this, this reminds, for some reason, the thought pops into it. I remember uh, back when I was in government, there, w- there was like a, one of the winners of the rank awards. Uh, we were just kind of looking for for winners to highlight for the White House. And one of the winners was the guy who, or the team that came up with the the laser that we shoot from the earth to knock satellites falling out of the sky and hit them. And the math that goes into that, like the speed, the wind, all of it is, is extraordinary amount of variables that you're controlling for. And it seems to me like we need to get more sophisticated in terms of which projects we choose. I mentioned the supply chain. It should be predictable potentially, which, which supplies are most delayed versus not, you know, converge on timing and expectation. The labor market, it, it, there may be ability to predict, like which projects at which time are we going to have adequate uh, human resource and adequate supply chains uh, providing supplies for different projects versus just assuming those will be there. So I think in the Recovery Act, you know, there was no, there, there wasn't. An issue as much on the supply chain or on people, so that didn't factor in. But now I think we have to kind of use my analogy from the first half of sharpening the axe to do a lot more of that now uh, here, given the world is different.
0: I think I think there's some interesting uh, there's some interesting opportunities then for for Mitch and his team one would be to say, okay, what are the immediate issues we're dealing with in the country right now in which infrastructure dollars could have a very, very positive net effect? And I think you hit on it with the supply chain. You know, suddenly having a lot of cash to fix infrastructure stuff might be a way of, um, of uh, helping at least increase the resilience of the supply chain long term. You know, how, how can you convince maybe some of those boats to point towards different ports, how can you, are there projects, immediate projects that can be done on on ports to reduce bottlenecks? Um, So that might be one of them. The other thing you're really getting at is that, you know, in the bill, in the many, many chapters of the bill, there are many, many different programs, each one of which has its own kind of unique characteristics, spending patterns, um, organizations you need to coordinate with. I think, you know, Mitch and his team have to become incredibly savvy about understanding each one of those programs, uh, challenges, opportunities, networks. And I I think relying heavily on the agencies who have that experience would be the key to doing it. You know, not trying to build something new, but basically trying to provide some leadership and some um, support, you know, some decision making and um, risk taking support for those organizations to see if they can take you know, uh, double digit percentages out of the time necessary to deliver.
1: Yeah, Uh, it's almost like I I can imagine an OMB can play a huge role in helping. It's like there's a scorecard for different uh, projects based on different timeframes. Like you mentioned environmental review. How does this project or these set of projects score in terms of their readiness or speed at which the environmental requirements can be met? There's stakeholder alignment you know, how much, you know, fighting is there going to be versus now everyone's pretty much aligned that this bridge needs to be refurbished or this road needs to be redone. There's, as we mentioned, supply chain, like how does this score in terms of what we're seeing in terms of the supply of concrete or steel to this location in this time? There's labor, how does the labor market score? And so you can start to balance scorecard and have OMB help with that to start, you know, figuring out these projects have higher probability of successful launch and progress in the short term based on these predictable factors of of obstacles or mile markers you have to hit, these projects score lower. And so those we should um, continue to work on them so that they score higher in the background so that we're shifting stuff that scores higher to the front. Um, And again, I can't think of anyone better suited to run a scorecard program than, uh, than OMB, who's done it before.
0: Yeah, I think um, I think um, one of the things to consider though is that the projects that might score the highest on that scorecard are possibly the least innovative. Are possibly they've probably been the ones that have been hanging around the longest, and and may reflect. You know, may not reflect the dramatic transformation mm-hmm. in technology, particularly in transportation, commun- telecommunications, even in water technology, that's happened in the last, you know, two, three, four years. So
1: I think I you're think- raising a good point. So you can score each one, but you have to take a step back and look at the enterprise or portfolio of projects, and you probably want to make sure there's a certain percent or footprint that are hitting climate change as a major, you know, emphasis and certain number that are hitting innovation and paradigm shift, um, even though they might score a little bit lower so that your, your overall portfolio is balanced with a mix of projects that will get off the ground quickly but not might not be as exciting. You feel comfortable that you can go to the president and say, this infrastructure bill is hitting what we need to hit in the range of climate related improvements that are necessary. And then also we're doing some creative innovation. We're testing different things, piloting different things that are important for future generations to learn from.
0: Yeah, and the and the and the big challenge is that people are so afraid of the Cylindra story
1: mm-hmm. that they
0: that they'll steer away from
1: uh, explain those... for our listeners the Cylindra story.
0: Yeah, well, they're, they're afraid of, uh, of technology and innovation. What they want is tried and true.
1: Well, Solyndra was a company that got a major infusion of money during the Recovery Act, and there was a scandal associated around Solyndra, its economics, its readiness. It's, its a whole thing in a series of hearings, and it was a, you know, a drag on the overall momentum of the recovery act was kind of the Solyndra issue. Um, and so what you're pointing out is, and that was like solar panels or something like that, right?
0: They were, they were round solar panels so that they could get sunlight as the sun progressed against the sky without having to turn and tip the solar panel. Um, it was a cool idea, but it, it didn't recognize the fact that uh, solar panel like solar cells were actually cheap enough that making them flat was, you know, was a was a better way. It was very complicated to put them on the cylinder.
1: You're raising a super interesting thing about about public sector that where, the, where we disadvantage ourselves versus private sector in terms of innovation, which is in the private sector, I would argue there's a healthy r and d budget and culture, and it's not the worst thing in the world to invest in something and have it fail because you're learning you're trying different things and that's why you place it in the r&d bucket and most ceos and ceos will know that their investments in r&d don't always pan out um, the hope is is that on net your r&d budget produces um, new innovations that uh, are better economically for shareholders and for the company right but in government there's a fear of failure right and so You know, it's like there's a gotcha, like, ah, you invested in something that didn't work. And so that that is an abject failure. And you're a bad leader and bad manager and bad steward of taxpayer resources versus good on you for trying different things. And if you have two successes among five initiatives and those two successes are paradigm shifting and helpful, that's great.
0: Yeah. And I I think that that's the challenge in infrastructure because it's it's concrete steel, um, you know, it, it's, it's you know, designed to last for decades. So you have to kind of predict future uses. You have to predict, you know, evolution and change. And so it's very hard to, to innovate in infrastructure and in construction. So maybe where the opportunity for innovation then is in things like procurement. Um, we did some innovative work at, at DC's Department of Transportation where, where we shifted to a lot of design build contracts rather than design bid build to take months and months and months out of the procurement cycle and shift some of the risk over to the private sector provider and builder of the projects. Maybe maybe that's where some of this emphasis can go is providing uh, tools and techniques, providing shared platforms for the jurisdictions or the implementers to have fast ways of, of delivering outcomes the other thing I think um, Mitch's team can do is provide cover for the people doing the work at the front line, you know, taking the risk and saying, look, I'll I'll take on some of the risk. You know, I'll t- I'll take on the I'll take on the concerns of the complaints so that you can take risk. What happens generally, as you know, in, in government is if something bad goes wrong, or if something bad happens, they try to find the lowest point on the totem pole that they can point to, right? And say, well, that happened down there. That was a out of control staffer in a regional office, rather than saying, you know, what, uh, staffers in regional offices bring us your great ideas, bring us your, you know, and we'll take on some of the risk of, uh, of actually implementing them and sending a signal very, you know, very widely among the organization that reasonable risk will be tolerated. And innovation and application of technology is, is one of the priorities of getting this stuff done so that people can get the benefit as quickly as possible.
1: Yeah. And I think you're raising another good point for, for Mr. Landrew and his team, which is we've learned a lot of lessons before. You know, we've Seen that there's opportunities to cut time down from a procurement. We've seen that there's an ability for leaders to, uh, to, to 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 create pressure points and non-pressure points. So there's less risk aversion at key choke points where things can either get done or fall into bureaucratic inertia. Um, there should be learnings from that, you know, kind of baked into the go forward versus um, you know, feeling like this is a a new start uh, and we've never tackled this before. We may have never tackled this type of program before, but between the Recovery Act and even some of the recent lessons learned in terms of money going out the door on CARES Act, um, there's a lot of, you know, to-dos and not to-dos, you know, best practices, things to avoid, um, all that can get baked in relatively quickly to a, to a go forward plan. Um, this is not easy, but, uh, but I think there's a, a lot that, uh, that, that can be put together and weaved together for a thoughtful action plan. It's not going to be perfect. Mistakes will be made. Um, but, but there's an opportunity to, to take only one step back and two steps forward. Um, and I hope the world tolerates some, you know, some mistake and some error for all the uh, opportunity that's there. And it would be a shame if like everyone runs to the first cylinder they can find and they're, yeah.
0: they're, they're going to do it. And at the, at the end of the day, if you actually look at the, um, the energy program in which they made those investments, I, I think even Tesla came out of that investment program. So, it actually paid back the government, everything that went out. They did lose the cylinder money, but they made it back and other and other uh, investments and in the technology got progressed three, five, 10 years. So I, I think that that's gonna be natural. You know, um, there's this great book called The Great Bridge by David McCullough that describes the building of the Brooklyn Bridge. When people see the Brooklyn Bridge, they just think of this incredible iconic statement of architecture design engineering it was mired in endless scandal the expression if you believe that i've got a bridge i can sell you actually comes from the bond issuances from the brooklyn bridge and so the the important thing to realize in infrastructure is you're making big long 100-year investments there is going to be concern complaint and even scandal go to boston now i i grew up going to boston every weekend to visit my granddad and i remember the uh, Fitzgerald Expressway, the overhead expressway that went through downtown Boston. I was just up there a couple of weeks ago. And the difference that the Big Dig has made in knitting that city back together and creating this incredible, you know, green moment in the middle of the city. No one remembers the $15 billion and, and the scandal and concern. Everyone can see, you know, the tremendous difference it's made in the city. So.
1: Um, yeah it's a you know maybe we should talk in the future in a future episode as we wrap up as you were talking you're exactly right like people will go to the cylindra angle people will throw rocks and glass houses it's their job they should they should why and why do we allow that to to slow us down if we know it's coming like why do we Bow to it. Why do you know? I, I'm just. I, the question is: Is okay. you're exactly no
0: one, right. No one, no one likes to make an own goal. You know, <laughs> it's like, but the fact is, like that's the world in which we operate in, and it's actually helped. It is a form of competitive pressure to create an environment in which people will try to avoid the really dumb. But that doesn't mean you shouldn't. You know, the easiest way to avoid doing something dumb is not doing anything at all.
1: Yeah. Well, that, I
0: think, is even more concerning.
1: I guess here's my question. It's a very different question for a future episode, which is if you know inevitably, like, uh, like, like death and taxes, that as a politician, 50% of the people are going to love you and 50% of the people are going to hate you. No matter what you do, doesn't that kind of free up you to, to take a certain path that balances better risk taking and innovation, and um, versus operating in a world where it's like, well, I want a hundred percent of people to love me, right?
0: Yeah, I I, I think though that um, I, I think you know that you know there are many 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 other competing issues that an administration is dealing with, and their favorite you know, operating people are the ones who create nothing, right, so that they can, they can deal with the, you know, the inevitable global, international, or financial crisis. Um, and so there's a lot that militates against spending, you know, capital, political capital on implementation of things, you know, the way Gov actually works, right, so we're through the politics and personalities part of um, of the infrastructure bill and we're on to the implementation side, the, the gov actually side. It's procurement, it's um, it's NEPA documents, it's but the
1: politics will come in Oh in, no, in the hearings. politics is
0: sitting there, it's sitting there. It, any but I tell you what, if they if they if they perform well to your point, there will not be that that other that that bridge to somewhere article will probably not be written, or it will be written in time. Uh, which sadly is does not have the distribution it used to. So um, I,
1: I guess my final word of advice for Mitch is uh, 50% of the people are going to think you did an amazing job. 50% of the people are going to think you did the worst job. There's not a lot you can do about it. It's kind of built into the fabric of of life. So go ahead and go forward knowing that no matter what you do, that's the case. So do it the right way.
0: Well, and when I was transportation director, I said, if I had 51% of people pleased with the work I was doing, I was having a great day.
1: Yeah. Because,
0: you know, even when you were doing something great that people love, like paving a road, you were inevitably blocking three lanes and putting cones out there and making a bunch of noise. So even though people ultimately were happy to have that smooth road, they hated the process getting there. And you just have to recognize that that's the job you're doing. Um, I think, uh, I think, um Mitch being a, f- a former mayor, being a lieutenant governor, if anyone understands, he understands that that's, that's the job. And 100% of the people are gonna benefit from the work, even if 50% of the people don't you know, complain about it along the way. So I, I wish him the best of luck. He's a great guy, I've gotten to know him a little bit and uh, I think it's an inspired choice and, and I, I, I hope he does a, a great job.
1: Yeah, thank you Mitch for coming to serve um thank you for uh, for taking this on and thank, and thank you, thank you
0: danny, Dan. For, yeah oh you beat yeah we right at the same time thank oh, you danny.
1: darn it we can okay. uh, let's let's uh let's retape that section <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I think it's kind
0: of nice in its own way so anyway it's it was great to see you again today danny and great to have this conversation with our, our fantastic of actually listeners
1: all right until next time dan
0: thank you take care